Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And I want to just throw this out at the beginning of this episode. We are about to talk about LSD, about acid, about psychedelic experiences. And uh, just want to go ahead and, and at the front of the podcast, just a reminder to everybody, uh, you know, don't do drugs, kids. Use common sense and uh, and don't take uh, anything we're about to, to uh, discuss as a mandate to go and try any of these uh, powerful substances. Exactly. This is just an exploration of some of the byproduct experiences that one has with LSD or what has been reported. So, again, it's just an exploration of the how and the why of LSD in flashbacks. Yes. Uh, that being said, it's not the first time we've covered uh, psychedelic experiences on the podcast. Uh, we've talked about the Timothy Leary before. We've talked about uh, John C. Lilly. And we did two episodes, The Scientist and the Shaman, about scientific research related to uh, psychedelic substances. Yeah, I mean, there is a resurgence, really, in hallucinogenic drugs right now because there there is a, uh, a very good amount of information that tells us that they can be used in a medical setting for, for various things. And again, if you're interested in exploring that, check out The Scientist and the Shaman. Um, I believe that information is in there. But today we're going to talk about... Really, the idea of the LSD experience in flashbacks and whether or not flashbacks really exist. And, uh, I'm, of course, I'm talking about tabs, trips, white lightning, window panes. <laughs> and I'm talking about school assemblies because what? school assemblies, yeah. You just I don't know, know any of these terms. <laughs> no, I mean school assemblies in the sense that these uh, institutions oh. <laughs> help to keep some key acid flashback urban legends alive throughout the generations until they could be properly adopted by the Internet. Oh, yeah. I see. For a second there, I thought school assemblies was slang for LSD or something. It should be. Yeah. Because a lot of what we're talking about is, is in that gray area of, uh, of recreational drug use, of counterculture drug use. And uh, and that that alone is kind of a, a breeding ground for for ghost stories about experiences. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I have a buddy and he knows this guy who once did such and such, you know, and there's some sort of wild story. And then to your point, the school assemblies uh, and anti-drug messaging often pick up on these ghost stories or sort of fabricate their own scare stories about the horrors of drugs. And, uh, you know, as is generally the case with this sort of thing, the truth is is not uh, is not quite uh, on either side of that. It's somewhere in between. Yeah, I think a classic example of this is the orange juice man. Yes. Okay, so we're talking about this guy who's smuggling, what, like 100 tabs of acid? Yeah, and some, some guy, a friend of mine, knows the guy right. who, who did this. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah he, was, he was in Canada. He's about to cross the border. Mm-hmm. Um, he had them strapped to his body, and they started questioning him. They put him in this room, and he got like super freaked out and started sweating. And then he started absorbing the tabs of acid, <laughs> and then he thought he was an orange, and he started to peel himself. Whoa! For the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are uh, there are variations on this too, where he uh, where it'll be uh, somebody who is again either has it strapped to his body or he's about to get busted, so he eats an entire sheet of acid. And uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar, like a sheet of acid, it's like uh, like little pieces of paper with little drops, little little blots mm-hmm. of uh, of this substance on it. So uh, in this variation on the urban legend, he eats all the, this entire sheet of acid, uh, just trips his mind out, and suddenly believes that he is a glass of orange juice, and for the rest of his life, sits there, presumably in a padded cell somewhere, 
believing only that he is a, a glass of orange juice. Now, when I heard this story mm-hmm. as, as a tender youth in uh, Michigan, it was a girl, some girl who, you know, we didn't have the specific name, but someone in yes. our community uh-huh. who took all this acid and tried to peel herself as an orange. And see, the, the, the peeling yourself, like that one has that kind of grisly level to it, which is which is kind of horrifying and scary. Uh, but I think I actually like the orange juice one better because that one is, is all, it's a little less grisly. It's like, it's a little less on the surface frightening. Yeah. Like, it's not one of those, like, PCP, peel your face off and feed it to a dog kind of stories. But it has a subtle horror to it that is, that is still effective because it gets down to what a lot of the fears with, uh, with acid, uh, are. A lot of the fears around psychedelics is that I will take something and it will change who I am. It'll change who I am, how I experience the world forever. It'll break my brain and therefore break my universe because what is yeah. the universe but my uh, my conscious experience uh, of it. Yeah, Yeah, and I was about to say and that plays into this whole idea that you could permanently break your brain which is another urban myth that comes up from this idea that uh, seven times a charm, right? Like if yeah. you take acid seven times after that, you are insane. Yeah, which again, that's just, there's no, nothing scientifically or legally to back that up. It's just something that people said. Another one, staring at the sun. A bunch of uh, hippies did acid once and they all looked up at the sun till their eyes burned out of their heads. I love that one because this was a story that was picked up by California newspapers in 1967. So it <laughs> appeared a couple times in print about four students who sustained permanent damage. Their corneas were just fried to a crisp after they couldn't look away from the sun because they were so incapacitated. And it was also backed up by a mysterious spokesman for the Santa Barbara Ophthalmological Society. Now, there's another case we do have to mention, and this one's a much darker one because this one does involve an actual death, uh, specifically the death of Diane Linkletter, uh, the daughter of uh, the famous Art Linkletter, who uh, talk shows and specifically Kids Say the Darndest Thing. That was mm-hmm. one of his, uh, you know, uh, the, the original Kids Say the Darndest Thing. That was kind of his uh, his big show. His daughter uh, tragically died October 1969, 20 years old, jumped out of a window, fell to her death. And there has never been any direct evidence connecting LSD to her death. Uh, a person present during the event made no mention of LSD. The, the police, toxicological tests performed on the body, uh, didn't show drugs in the system. But uh, Art Linkletter uh, became uh, a very vocal uh, opponent of LSD, uh, very outspoken about it. And he claimed that LSD had caused her death and later that LSD flashbacks led to her suicide. Yeah, and so this is this very gray area that we're going to enter into today about mm-hmm. LSD use and flashbacks because you don't know what her psychological state was before or after the use of LSD. And also this idea that flashbacks could have influenced her decision runs counter to some of the information we have on how LSD is uh, metabolized by the body. And we'll get more into that in a second. Yeah. And, and I don't want to vilify uh, the late uh, Art Link letter at all, because obviously some, a very tragic event happened in his life here. And I think it's just human nature to you want to know the reason for it. And if you can put up put the blame on something like LSD, mm-hmm. you know, or, or the culture surrounding it. I mean, that's that's understandable. Sure. And you have to think about all the media at that time, too. Yeah, you didn't I mean, just have this. You had reefer madness. You exactly. had all these, these different You had the stories of, of people burning out their eyes and, yeah. you know, and, and the, the danger in, in general of, of, of hippie culture and hippie mm-hmm. counterculture. 
Which, if you think about it, it must have been super terrifying for people at that time because it came out of this tame 50s, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's still wearing suits all the time. And all of a sudden, they turn around and people are growing their hair out long and listening to crazy music. I mean, it must have been terrifying to people who had lived their life in a certain way and had known nothing else. Yeah, I mean, of course, on, on one level, it, I mean, it's always no country for old men. You know, it's like the old are always going to be frightened, terrified, and threatened by the youth and the things that they're into. Sure. But, but yeah, particularly for that time, uh, there was this tide of change and, 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 and drastically different values that seemed to be, be coming at them. Um, rapid. I mean, yeah. these are rapid changes. Yeah. And so, and then you have, you have this, uh, the LSD, which is, we're about to discuss. It's been around for a while, but it was really making, uh, uh, making its power known at the time. Um, and, you had all these scare stories that were out there, some misinformation, some some correct information. I mean, at the very heart of it, kids were taking this and seeing things, experiencing things, experiencing an altered uh, state of consciousness, and and that alone, I, you know, you could see where that would would be threatening. Now, another bit of uh, urban legend misinformation about uh, LSD that uh, was making uh, the rounds at the time and continues to make the rounds today uh, is the idea that you take LSD and it's going to have its effects on your in your mind. But then it's going to a little bit of that LSD is going to get stored away in your spine or in uh, fatty tissue, and then later, uh, you know, maybe months, maybe years, even uh, this uh, this LSD, this stored LSD, will reactivate, and suddenly you're having this crazy flashback, and you're 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 you know, and you you're, you're may not be at a music concert at this point in your life. Maybe you are uh, changing a diaper, or driving a car, and suddenly you're in in mortal danger. Um, But that is not the case. No. And we're going to talk about why it's not. So let's take a closer look at LSD or lysergic acid diethyl imide. Yes. Now, uh, hallucinogens have been around for ages and ages and ages, dating back all the way through human history. But LSD is Mm semi-synthetic. So we didn't have this until the 1930s. All right. So let's look back to 1930s. Swiss chemist Albert Hoffman, he's studying the compound lysergic acid, which is derived from ergotamine, which is in turn derived from a parasitic fungus called ergot that grows on rye. Now, he first synthesized uh, lysergic acid diethyl imide, or LSD, back in 1938. And he, he was looking into it because he thought it might stimulate breathing and circulation. He thought it would have very, you know, you know important but but not crazy uh, clinical perp- uh, uh, potential. Uh, but the test didn't show anything special, so he just uh, he just set it aside. And the company he was looking for, working for, Sandoz, they abandoned further study as mm-hmm. well. Five years later, he's... He's thinking about it again. He's like, "Oh, I'm going to look at that uh, that compound again and see if there's, you know, see if there's something there because I, you know, I feel like there's some potential." So he goes back and he's he's brewing up a new batch of LSD uh, for to, to look at some more, and he starts to begin strange to begin to feel strange. All right, uh, he oh dear. Uh, he he described it as a remarkable restlessness combined uh, with a slight dizziness, and uh, while at home he was in a quote dreamlike state and perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. So, uh, having a scientific mind, he decided, well, I'm going to look at this a little closer. I'm going to, you know, get in closer for a closer look at the uh, at what's happening to mm-hmm. me. So, he took t- 250 micrograms, that's uh, 10 times more than the typical minimum dose of LSD today, and became delirious. Couldn't speak. Uh, and so, initially, he's panicking, uh, and he's, he's asking his laboratory assistant to call a doctor. The doctor can't find anything wrong with him, other than the fact that his pupils are dilated. He had normal b- blood pressure, heart rate, respiration. 
But soon this panic uh, goes away, and he starts feeling this sense of euphoria. And again, he's seeing beautiful shapes and colors. And so LSD was born. Uh, it made its rounds through uh, through you know clinical explorations, but then eventually bleeds out into uh, recreational use. Uh, in the decades to follow. Yeah, we really see uh, Timothy Leary picking this up, right? He's mm-hmm. taking it essentially at first in a medical setting and then taking it outside and saying, hey, let's blow open the doors of perception with this and uh, let's all try to get into an altered state and access different experiences of life. So real quickly, let's run down physical effects and physiological effects. We're talking about increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, dilated pupils, sweating, loss of appetite, sleeplessness, dry mouth, tremors, speech difficulty, and pilo erection that is by the way goosebumps oh, okay. okay head out of the gutter yeah. there uh, physiological effects hallucinations of course increased color perception which I think is interesting because Oliver Sacks has, has talked about this time that he was hallucinating indigo Yes, yes. This, this this color indigo. I think he was at a classical music concert, and he had um, used LSD, and he was forever searching for that color. He never yeah. found it again. Well, I remember him talking about he had a whole cocktail of things he took to try and just sort of gauge his uh, his experience just right to experience indigo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's this elusive color that he never found again in, in this uh, reality that was not colored by hallucinogens, uh, altered mental state, thought disorders, temporary psychosis, delusions, body change, or excuse me, body image changes and impaired depth, time and space perceptions. Uh, in, users might feel several different emotions at once or swing rapidly from one emotion to another. Bad trips may consist of severe, terrifying thoughts and feelings, fear of losing control and despair. Now, it's, it's some of the, a lot of this sounds like being a toddler. It's like I see these these symptoms in my son all the time. What is he on? Um, Well, I mean, in a way, he's getting hit with all this sensory data for the first time. Got to make sense of it. Maybe that is what it feels like, you know, to be a toddler or a baby taking in information. Um, Now, the, the dose is metabolized by the body within a day and excreted in the urine. And by the way, LSD, the effects actually begin about 30 minutes after you take it. Um... But the the actual effects of the chemical will start to taper off as the hours pass. And, so, and they didn't tend to be some long hours towards the end, I understand, where you where one may wish to go to sleep and then think they're sleeping, but you're not really sleeping because you can't sleep because of the LSD. Right. And again, of course, it depends on how much you take. But because it is so quickly metabolized, there's no trace molecules to hang around in the body and eventually be stored in fat or in the spine. Yeah, it's that all... That we know for certain. Yeah, it's all gone from the system in, in 24 hours, which, which of course, gets into that interesting uh, situation where you can't really test for things like LSD uh, in a person's system. Uh, you really only can test for things like marijuana. Yeah, so then that brings up this idea of flashbacks, which previously had been thought to, again, as you had said before, have been stored in the body. And like that was the chemical switch that was being flipped um, when people have flashbacks. That is not the case. So you have to start to look more towards someone's memory of the event or what they perceived and, and, and begin to look at it in that light. Yes. Now I do want to add one more note here about hallucinations. Um, I feel like Hollywood often 
skews our idea of what an acid trip is. Because uh, if, if you're like me, someone you think movie acid trip, you probably think of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. even though it, uh, various substances are involved in Hunter S. Thompson's uh, experience there. But you see like people turning into dinosaurs and floors melting and, uh, and this idea that you're just kind of falling into another world. And generally speaking, the hallucinations experienced by uh, individuals on, on LSD they know that it's not real. There's not yeah. this. There's not this. This idea that you're just slipping completely into a dream world. I mean, that's part of it because for most of us, the dream world is the, the only thing we can really think of to compare to it. So we we think of a dream, we think of being lost in the experience of the dream, and we kind of uh, lay that over the possibility for psychedelic experience. Uh, I remember uh, a friend of mine in school. She experienced uh, LSD quite a bit and and was interested in in looking more into it. And so it was not uncommon for her to attend school tripping. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time her being perfectly normal, but saying, oh, you know, the walls are really moving today. <laughs> By the way, she was an A student. Yeah. All through high school. Well, because to, to her, to your point, but also kind of to her point, uh, most of the, the primary effects here are visual. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be geometric patterns uh, in the walls. It's going to be halos around things. Uh, you look at a light and then there's like a, the, the light streams this way. Or you look up at the night sky and everything that's black is suddenly red. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. So yeah, to your point, it's primarily visual. People aren't really out of their minds. They are in their minds. It's just an entirely mm-hmm. different experience in their mind. Yeah, and, and you know, you adjust your perception of time. Uh, that certainly plays into it as well. But, uh, but yeah, for the most part, we're talking about visual Cues. And so when we tar- start talking about flashbacks and the idea of an acid flashback, most of what we're talking about is going to be kind of visual in nature, um, but also they're, they're at times a little emotional. Um, if, if anyone out there has been watching the, uh, the, the television show True Detective on HBO, uh, there's a character on that who experiences flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Based on the information we've been reviewing here, it seems like those flashbacks, as they're presented in the show, match up pretty well with what is often reported. Uh, so it's not like demons bounding out of the walls or anything, but it's things like uh, like the light seeming to sort of smear around you or, uh, or a geometric pattern emerging, that sort of thing. You're not just... Stuck in a spiral, yeah. That's of psychedelic colors. Or yeah, and it's certainly not like the uh, 1978 uh, exploitation film of Blue Sunshine, uh, where individuals who took acid a decade earlier are suddenly uh, turn into bald, raving psychotics and start like running all over the place. Um, which again, that that was a movie that very much was exploiting all of these scare stories uh, uh, from the previous decade. So let's start talking about some of the numbers here when we're actually talking about acid flashbacks. Because, again, we get into that area of, uh, of urban uh, folklore, into that area of ghost story. Uh, everyone is going to have some sort of story about people experiencing flashbacks. Mm-hmm. But how many people really self-report having them? How many people actually have something that we can clinically call uh, a flashback event? So studies carried out in 1972 claimed that one in four psychedelic users experienced flashbacks, with 57% experiencing pleasant flashbacks and only 11% experiencing very frightening flashbacks. Meanwhile, modern uh, psychiatrist Henry David Abraham claims that while only 5% of LSD users uh, are actually experiencing hallucinogenic episodes, uh, as many as 60% of frequent users may report some sort of flashback. So 
we, we have to end up separating two different things here. One is the feeling that you had a flashback or right. the, a self-report of a flashback uh, that may or, may or may not have anything to do with your actual um, neural architecture. Again, a psychedelic experience is going to be very subjective. Memory is very subjective. So you're going to have somebody who claims, well, like a, a, you know, an hour after I tripped, I, had this, I saw something kind of weird or I felt something kind of weird, or a day after I tripped. And indeed, most of the, the, the flashbacks that are reported are falling in that window of time, like the first couple of days following the use of the substance, not 10 years down the line. Yeah, and psychiatrist John Halpern said that most studies don't make clear if other drugs were involved or if participants had other psychiatric conditions at the time. So we may have some data on it, but it's not clear, you know, if, if some of this stuff was moving the needle a couple of degrees. And there's also the question about if it really is a flashback or just a provocative memory, because yeah. memory is fallible, as we know, and... You know, you can get an intense sensation sometimes. Do you call that a flashback? Um, you know, part of it is our inability to really define what a flashback is. Yeah, because uh, we just if we experience suddenly we're sitting at our desk and we remember like a painfully um, embarrassing moment from our past and we're kind of like, ugh, and, you know, we actually feel the embarrassment mm-hmm. in our bodies. In a, you know, in a sense, that's kind of a flashback. But there's nothing magical about that. There's nothing psychedelic about that. But what if you're suddenly remembering the time that the, the, the night sky became dark red, you know? The, suddenly you're adding in that level of... Uh, uh, of the psychedelic, you're adding in that uh, that script, and you have a reason for it. You're like, oh, maybe that was an, an acid flashback. Uh, maybe that's that's what that was. And also, again, memory is fallible. Every time you take that memory out, you're changing it. So over time, you're 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 making that even more of a concrete flashback memory uh, as far as your own uh, experience goes. And uh, it's also worth noting that you don't need a psychedelic substance to have a flashback. Traumatic or intensely emotional memories have a tendency to stick with us in ways that normal memories do not. And, uh, and, and, uh, and certainly one can experience an intense traumatic flashback. Uh, uh, you know, this is part and partial to, uh, uh, PTSD. So, so these aren't due to foreign substances in our brain, but rather the effects of experience on our mental state. Okay. Now, another again, you already mentioned how there are other factors that can play. Mm-hmm. You know, that are often not recorded. What was else was the individual using? What was their existing mental state? Uh, are they predisposed to any kind of uh, psychotic episodes or what have you that the uh, that the LSD might have uh, triggered? And also, uh, we mentioned how long LSD tends to make people stay awake. That's another thing. If you've if you've taken LSD and you have stayed awake all night, you find yourself uh, perhaps a little sleep deprived, and that's mm-hmm. another thing that can that can experience that can uh, affect your experience of the of the real world. Well, there's also the aspect of suggestibility, right? Because we've talked about yeah. the placebo effect. So if you are um, thinking that you're going to have these flashbacks, mm-hmm. it's very possible that you may take out some of these memories and examine them in that context. Yeah, and if you find yourself paranoid about, oh, did I just break my brain? That was really cool looking, but what kind of harm have I done to mm-hmm. myself? And then you start looking for these and. Uh, Altered perception. I mean, that's what the the whole experience is about. So you've just previously experienced things in the world differently than normal. Maybe you've noticed details in your surroundings that were uh, were not obvious beforehand, and you notice those again when you're not uh, tripping. That can lead to an interpretation, a self-interpretation of a flashback. 
Especially if you're slowing down that mental process. Yeah. Right? If you're thinking about it in that context and you're really looking at the world around you. Yeah. Like think of some of these optical illusions we've discussed before where you just look at it, you don't see it. But once Mm -hmm. you see it, you cannot unsee it. And so arguably some flashback experiences are like that. You know, you've, you've seen the, the pattern, the face pattern in the wall, and then it's kind of impossible to not see it. But that is not necessarily a flashback. It's just a callback to an altered perception. Well, and to confuse matters, sometimes people have psychological breakthroughs, personal breakthroughs in mm-hmm. their own narrative in the world, right? And they see things in a different way. They may have more of a truth. I'm putting that in quotes. Um, that they are hooked into now. So if that perception of the world as well as your your sensory perception is all sort of uh, intertwined, then it makes it kind of hard to, to unravel that and see things for what they are. Uh, and that being said, though, there is something called the hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. And we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we will explore what that is. All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about something called hallucinogen persisting perception disorder, HPPD. This is a sudden change in perception that occurs in some LSD users months or years after the discontinued use. Um, It is linked to, of course, persistent LSD use. And it has nothing to do with the buildup of the molecules of LSD in the body. I know we said that before, but it bears mentioning again. And we don't understand exactly what is going on with it. In the same way that we don't have the, the clearest idea of how LSD actually works uh, in the mind. Uh, but people have been studying it, and uh, and it is, uh, I mean, you could arguably say that this is the true LSD flashback. Like, we have all of these, uh, these ghost stories and urban legends, but this is where it actually uh, comes together. Yeah, and psychiatrist John Halpern had reviewed a bunch of scientific literature on the matter, and he found that most studies provided too little information to estimate the actual prevalence of HPPD in the population. Now, Henry David Abraham says uh, maybe one person in 20 will develop serious continuous problems related to the hallucinogenic experience, but he says that's pretty much true of any drug you use. Yeah. So, again, it's hard to figure out where flashbacks begin and HPPD picks up and what exactly um, defines HPPD. Yeah, but to sort of give a, a sort of basic idea, um, one woman he was treating took 30 tabs of LSD over the course of a year at age 18 and then went on to have flashback experiences for 13 years. But but then again, you know, you look at other famous drug users like uh, Timothy Leary, uh, when when he was asked about the whole seven times makes you crazy mm-hmm. uh, thing, I, I read that he said, well, I, I've taken it 311 times. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm not crazy. Right. Uh, of course, that, of course, is, is kind of a subjective statement, too. I'm sure there were people at the time and, and today that would say, well, maybe Timothy Leary was a little crazy. Um, but there you go. And some of these experiences we're talking about, like trails following moving objects, a television-like static applied to the field of vision and color changes. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about HPPD. And there are a couple of different schools of thought here uh, when it comes to HPPD some people think that it's a kind of post-traumatic stress that the mind is undergoing. So, again, it's taking out that memory mm-hmm. and perhaps reacting to it, while others think that the the extensive use of LSD may have actually changed the brain's morphology. 
Yeah, like uh, for instance, the, the, if, you, if you're going to look in the the post-traumatic uh, angle on this, the the fear angle, you could imagine say someone uh, has maybe an aversion to cockroaches anyway, and then they see a bunch of cockroaches while they're on LSD. Like that could be the kind of traumatic experience and ultimately a psychedelic experience that one might have flashbacks to. Yeah, and Abraham says that at the core, you know, even though we're not entirely sure what HPPD is or how it's really acting on the brain, he said that at the core it's an imbalance within the inhibitory circuits of the visual processing system. So again, that preoccupation with the cockroach is, is very much a symbolic represent, representation of the visual system, right? Right. Now, the in- inhibitory circuits of the visual processing system, uh, what does that mean, right? Uh we talked about the the curious way that we see things before and how it's not yeah. just simply a matter of my eyeballs are cameras and they and the camera footage goes into my brain where there's like a little me that watches it on a on a screen no our, the version of reality that we see is just a again is exactly that a version of reality as picked up by these these limited sight organs and passed on to this limited brain. Yeah, because you think about it, there's so much data to take in that you kind of have walls up. Yeah, right? that's that inhibitory circuit is saying, okay, we don't need to let everything through here, just what's important. So the idea is is that HPPD, you might have some of those walls coming down. In right. other words, you're taking in a lot of data in your brain, as we know, gets a little overwhelmed sometimes when it has too much data. And when it doesn't have enough data, it also tends to hallucinate. Right. We have to see things to understand the world, but we have to unsee things as well. Like right now I'm looking at you. And I have a, a clear vision of your face. Mm-hmm. Noel, uh, our producer, is in the corner of my vision. I do not have a clear vision of his face. This changes if I look to Noel, and then changes back if I look to you. In the same way, if I look at this light, I see the light. If I look over here, I, I don't see it as clearly. But if, uh, if the inhibitory circuits are off, then I may look at this light and then look over here, and the light from the light comes with me to the next thing I look at, and suddenly Noel's face is glowing like an angel of the heavens. <laughs> yeah, there's a visual constancy that we're trying to establish. And there's lots of things that can get in the way of that. We've talked about Charles Bonnet syndrome. We've talked about lesions on the brain in which the circuits get a bit crossed and the brain starts to hallucinate things. We've talked about uh, not even having enough auditory stimulation. We talked about this in the episode, The Quietest Room in the World, mm-hmm. in which your brain will begin to hallucinate sounds if it doesn't have what it needs. So there really is a balance that can be tipped pretty easily. Yeah. One of the best analogies I ran across for this, uh, and this was uh, this was in the New Yorker article, A Trip That Lasts Forever, uh, which was about HPPD. Um, they, they talked about the muddled paintbrush theory. And this is the idea that the, if, if the brain is like a paintbrush, then HPPD appears to make the bristle sticky. And this makes old stimuli, colors, shapes, and motions muddy the new. So again, your brain is seeing things, but it hasn't stopped unseeing the thing it just saw. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, this is the, this version of it, this, uh, and this, uh, this, view of HPPD seems to be what they set out to portray when you have this character, this Matthew McConaughey character, uh, Detective Rust Cole, uh, seeing uh, light sort of bleed uh, through his vision at times. Now, it is treatable, but um, there's there's not a lot of stuff out there for it. Uh, there's a paper called Clonazepam, Treatment of Lysergic Acid, Diablomide, Induce Hallucinogen Persisting Perception Disorder with Anxiety Features, and that found that 18 patients suffering from LSD-induced HPPD did find relief using clonazepam over a six-month period. 
in which that drug was administered. So therapy also seems to help, but I will tell you one thing that does not, and that is cannabis, apparently. Oh. Yeah, so there are certain things that people should not take. All right, so there you have it. Acid flashbacks, LSD, a little information about how this works, how we we think it works, and some of the various uh, explanations uh, for psychedelic experience and uh, and these supposed psychedelic flashbacks. Um, If uh, if the past is any indication, I'm sure some people will say, oh, you shouldn't have talked about any of this. This is going to make people want to do drugs. Likewise, some people are going to say, oh, you're scaring people away from trying new experiences. But um, but I would I would hope that yeah this is kind of a a scare story uh, because it, it, it these are powerful substances we've talked about this before uh, wh- whether you're talking about acid or, or psilocybin in a magic mushroom um, these are powerful substances that have uh, an intense effect on perceptions of reality and no matter where you're coming from they they definitely should not be considered lightly so. You can take the uh, the acid flashback thing as a cautionary tale, if you like, because uh, uh, people do experience this, and it's not uh, always pleasant. I also think it's interesting as another viewpoint into the brain and memory mm-hmm. and and how we consume information and interpret it later on. And I would love to see some studies, if it's possible, that you could take um, experiences of flashbacks uh, or HPPD and then line them up with other hallucinations people have had, uh, whether or not it's Charles Bonnet syndrome or, or some other circumstance which created a hallucination in the brain to see if there's some sort of thread through all of these. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, hallucinations occur for a variety of reasons, most of which have nothing to do with uh, illicit substances, uh, and uh, and again, our perception of reality itself is a form of hallucination. Yeah, and I was just thinking too. I mean, even something like Stenhall syndrome, when you look at a beautiful piece of art mm-hmm. and you're overwhelmed, and sometimes people see things or they're seeing colors in, in different ways. That is a kind of hallucination. In fact, I one of the studies I was looking at here made a direct comparison between uh, supposed acid flashbacks uh, of definitely of the lighter kind, not full-blown HPPD experiences, but uh, the, the sort of lighter shade of acid flashback as directly relatable to Stendhal syndrome hmm. or Jerusalem syndrome, where you're suddenly just overwhelmed by a piece of art or an historic landmark and you feel this intense bodily experience. And I think, I, if I, I would wager to bet that pretty much everybody has had some sort of it's not experience, Stendhal or Jerusalem syndrome experience, but some sort of overwhelming feeling at one point in their life in which they were completely stone cold sober mm-hmm. and they, they had an altered state. Yeah. Um, and I would love to hear from you guys about that. It was the one thing. Was it a piece of art? Was it just a, a piece of music that puts you into that kind of state? Indeed. All right, so you want to let us know about this? You want to get in touch with us? Well, there are a number of ways to do it. Uh, you will not find us on the astral plane, but you will find us at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. Uh, you will find all the podcasts there. You will find the videos there, the blog entries, pictures of what we look like. If you don't know what we look like, there are photos there, because we still get people who are like, hey, I didn't know what, what you looked like. And, and if you don't, we, like you have a very specific idea of what we look like, don't go and look at those photos. Yeah, I don't want to Apparently, it's it. very jarring no. to people. It is, and I don't want to you know, spoil your, your imagined idea, because I mentioned before, I hate it when I'm reading a book, and it's like halfway through that the author mentions that the character has a mustache. I'm like, no, they didn't. They didn't have a mustache earlier in the book. If if that character has a mustache, you need to mention that page one. 
because otherwise I'm going to just have to reject your idea that they have a mustache. Are you keeping that mustache, by the way? Um, for now, for now. Okay. We'll see how it goes. It's a nice handlebar. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Tumblr. Find us on Twitter. Find us on YouTube at Mind Stuff Show. Follow us there uh, to support us. And, uh, Julie, how can they, they reach out to us with a nice, comforting, personal bit of email on the information superhighway. Well, they can drop us a line at blowthemindatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 